so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. God is a holy God, and He is serious about us walking in holiness. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. The Bible says, woe to those who isolate themselves or who don't have anyone there to pick them up when they fall down. The gospel hope is that we believe in a God who is engaged with His Son. I have had to come to terms with the fact that I live in a broken world and I live in a broken body. What if the one thing that we're praying for God to take away is the one thing He's using to make us more like Jesus. Welcome to the ERLC podcast. My name is Trillia Newbell. I am the Director of Community Outreach here at the ERLC. We are in a series. We're doing a series called How to Handle. We're thinking about and tackling different topics that maybe isn't talked about quite a bit that we know is going on in the church, but we're trying to put flesh and blood on these topics because we want to care for people, people made in the image of God who are struggling or who are tempted or who or maybe even hiding their sin. So today's topic is one that is um, near and dear to my own heart from just things that I have written about and thought about and even struggled with, different sexual sins. So today I'm really excited to have Jimmy and Kelly Needham on the show. Jimmy, he's a musician, a recording artist. He's also the music director for Stonegate Church. Kelly is a writer and together they lead college ministry at their church. And so they've been doing ministry together. They've been married for 11 years. They have two children and one adopted. So now three children. And I'm really excited to have them on. So thank you guys for joining us. Oh, yeah. So happy to be here. We're glad to be here. Um, Jimmy, you, we're going to start with you. You struggled with a porn addiction and it started at the age of nine. Tell us about that. And also, just your journey out of it and how you began to talk about it. My understanding is that you became a Christian because of it. Is this correct? So let us know. Tell us more. Yeah. So um, you're right. Nine, nine years old was my first exposure, which sadly I think is, is roughly uh, the exposure, the average age of exposure to porn uh, these days for children anyways. Uh, so there was a magazine buried in the rocks at the playground that I played at. Mm. Uh, and that was sort of the, my first uh, venture into that that whole world, and that really began for me uh, what ended up being probably a, a decade long, ten years uh, long addiction uh, that I wrestled with. Um, and uh, it it was especially for the the first five years or so into sort of high school 
15 years old, that sort of time period. I mean, it was just all encompassing. It, I was actually just thinking about it today, just what a dark season that was for me of the internet was just becoming more and more accessible. Sure. And, and so now I just had all of this at my fingertips and, and, uh, it just brought me to a really, really dark place. It, it the, the content got worse and worse and, uh, it really wasn't until, and I did, also wasn't in a Christian context in, in my home. So, mm -hmm. so we didn't really wasn't raised being warned much about this. I wasn't given a grid for what God's thoughts about it were. I just didn't have that as a grid. So for me, it took a, a friend of mine in high school to help me connect my sin struggle with Christ and the gospel and his work for me on the cross. And so that happened at 15. Hmm. Uh, I knew just because God's given me a conscience, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I just didn't have a sense of what to do about it. And and my friend was a guy that I I just befriended maybe a, a year earlier. And he was the only guy I knew who's really um, notably, noticeably a Christian. And so I felt just the, this compulsion one day to sort of spill my guts to him about all the stuff that I'd been involved in, you know, at that and this point, is at the age of 15. This is 15. That's I'd never amazing. spoken to anybody about it. Yeah. It was just my own sort of uh, world that I, I lived in. And uh, I look back now and I go, man, the Holy Spirit was working yes. on me. I mean, I just felt such a heavy conviction and I just didn't know what to do with it. And so I, I remember walking home to, uh, from school one day with him. And I just sort of poured my sin out on him and just confessed it. I was in tears. I didn't know what Aww. to do. And it was the first time that I that I heard the cross of Christ being spoken of as something more than um, a, a thing you wear around your your neck and a, a tattoo on your arm. And, and it, it made sense and it connected and the, the atonement, it, it resonated. And, and uh, so, so 15 years old uh, was, was the first time that, Jesus opened my eyes and, and I, I trusted him. I remember going home that day and and sort of like uh, cracking in half all of my discs I'd burned from the internet and all of this, you know, it was like this uh, little little moment I had in my bedroom of just giving my life over to the Lord. And, and um, I said my addiction lasted 10 years, you know, so that was five years or so in to it, five or six. And so the, the next four years for me, was just a really um, intense period of sanctification where I was trying to grapple with now, like I, I have the spirit of God in me. I'm hating the things I'm involved in, but I just, I keep running back to these sure. broken wells. And so those next four years were, were a big, uh, man, a, a big learning curve of what it looks like to walk in holiness, having new desires and, see, and trying to get free from this thing that would just held me so tightly. Mm, the guy who shared the gospel with you, he was a teenager as well. He was. He was a grade above me. So I was a, a sophomore at that point. He was a junior. You know, it, it became for us a really deep friendship. He started mentoring me. We started memorizing scripture together. We ended up uh, going to the same college together. We were roommates together. Oh, so awesome. I got to walk with him through all that. That's encouraging. And it yeah. just... It gives me a lot of hope, a hope for my kids. And um, mm. and it's just encouraging that he had the boldness to share and that you um, 
were listening to the spirit. And um, so how did you become, I guess, okay, so you call it an addiction and you were addicted for 10 years, but at some point you stopped. What, <laughs> yeah, so what was the crux? How did you come to an end of yourself? I think that yeah. so often when we're struggling and battling with sin, we just come to an end of ourselves. How did that happen for you? Yeah, uh, there's there's so many different ways to talk about how that moment unfolded for me. Um, I'll talk about the practical way first, and then I'll talk about maybe the 30,000 foot way second. But, so the practical way was, you know, there's with any addiction, and I'm assuming I haven't been addicted to drugs or alcohol, those sorts of things, but I, I hear the same verbiage coming out of those circles. You know, with any addiction, there's like, there's that hour of temptation, you know, and there's like the, the, the beating sort of like the, your impulses in, in the moment, uh, that happens. And, and, and obviously, you know, not being free from addiction means you're saying yes in every one of those, those moments. And so for me, I, I, I had a handful of moments as a college student, I was now 19 or so at the time where, uh, God gave me some decisive victories in sort of that hour of temptation mm -hmm. where, you know, by God's grace, he had been resourcing me over the past, you know, five years or so with just good gospel truth. And I, and I was able to apply that in the moment and then just physically fleece. And I remember I'm thinking about some moments where like I was in my room, I was tempted, you know, nobody was home in my, my house that I lived in uh, at college. And I remember just going for a run uh, and just, I just had to get out. And I remember there was, there was one or two of those really decisive victory moments for me where it was incredibly tempting. And then God showed me the way of escape. Yes. I was I, thinking the way of escape. He's yes. Provided yes. It. I yeah. literally ran for my life. That's and, awesome. uh, and what was it, what I found, and I, again, I'm talking on this sort of real practical level. What I found after that was in embracing those promises and, and fleeing from sin and those, those, you know, one or two big battle moments, I found that, that the next week or so when those same sort of feelings arose in me, the, the wave that I had to sort of, uh, overcome to be free from that temptation in that moment was a much smaller wave. And, uh, you know, nobody had ever told me that, that if that experiencing, uh, you know, a handful of decisive victories uh, is actually a really wonderfully empowering thing in the next time that, that you're approached by temptation, you know, because now not only am I filled with all the promises of God for me in the scriptures that I can cling to about how Jesus is more satisfying, but I'm also filled with the memories of, mm. of battles won. That's encouraging. Yeah. And, uh, and it was so great to, to have that sort of in my arsenal, if you will, because it was, you know, one or two weeks later, I was tempted and I, I leaned on those moments. I leaned on the, the promises and another victory happened. And I noticed it, it probably took a month or so of having three or four maybe decisive victories over that hour of temptation, you know, if you want to call it that, that really allowed me I, I, it's it's even, it's almost hard to explain. I can't, and I don't want to chalk up my experience to like this is must be how everyone experiences. It. But I really felt after that sort of month of like man, massive waves of temptation hitting me, and I'm experiencing some some really decisive victories. That after that month, the 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 temptation was much much smaller, um, less overbearing. 
I, you know, I, I wonder if it's not something that, that James is trying to capture when, when he says, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Mm. That's really what it started to feel like. So that was the practical level, like overcoming in a couple moments by the grace of God allowed me sort of the, the memory of those victories coupled with the promises to free me. But the, the maybe 30,000 foot way to talk about it was as I progressed in, in my sanctification, as I got to learn more about who God was, what he has to say about himself, my sin, what real freedom is, the more I began to realize that the Christian life is way less about you uh, finding a way to white knuckle through your temptations and your sin struggles, and way more about finding a much more desirable, attractive love that captures your heart mm. so that that sin that you once uh, ran to just looks um, paltry and insignificant by comparison. And that was really what I would say has has proved the decisive change for me. Yeah. I, I once thought that Christianity was just trying really hard. You know, you get you get saved by grace, but then you try really hard mm. and you and you get through it. And I began to realize no, I, I am saved by grace, and then I am sanctified by that same grace. I'm saved by having a gaze at Jesus that satisfies me, and I am sanctified. I'm, I'm set free from my sin by gazing at that same Christ and seeing him as ultimately more desirable. And Absolutely. so for me, that's been the, that's been the remedy, just mm. fixing my eyes on him. He's better. Jesus He's better. better. He's yeah. better. Mm. And, you know, I, I'll say this just um, – we don't have to get into it, but I, it's it's interesting to me at that same time, that same season, about those, that same decade, I was also like pretty um, severely overweight, obese. I, I, I was 260 pounds when I was in high school okay. uh, and I wasn't even six feet tall. You know, I was, I was just, uh, I really dealt with gluttony a lot. And it was the exact same thing that freed me from that too, to where that same sort of six month period where God was freeing me from lust, I dropped 70 pounds. Oh, wow. And all I can say to that is I began to find something more satisfying than the things I was chasing, namely Christ. Mm. I think that's so essential. It's not about making ourselves better. It's about fixing our eyes on the better. And yes. that is so good. And, um, and it's encouraging. It's just, there's hope when you, for change, when you realize that it's not about the white knuckle, but it's about our savior. And yes. um, I want to just pause and let people know that um, this is a short podcast mm-hmm. and there is no way that we're going to cover all that we need to or want to cover in such a short time. So the ERLC has loads of resources. You can visit us at ERLC.com, probably where you're listening to this podcast even now. And we're giving this, uh, I guess, what is it, 3,000 foot, 30,000 foot view mm-hmm. on this topic, but there's there's lots more to say. And it's really important for the church to be engaged in these topics because it affects everyone. It affects men. It affects women. Kelly, I want you to talk to us because 
um, though you didn't struggle with pornography, you have struggled with sexual sin. And this is something that we don't, we talk, men, we're, they're on top of this conversation. We're talking mm -hmm. about it a ton. Women, not so much. I did a um, article maybe about two or three years ago for CT Women, where I interviewed women who were addicted to pornography and, but no one knew. And it's, it's staggering the amount of, of women who, who fall into sexual sin. Again, that was not your yes. struggle, but, but we all have battled in some way. We're all broken in this area, but we don't talk about it. So tell us a little bit about your journey um, and also how you're caring for college students now, because you, you work together in college ministry. So let us hear from you, Kelly. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely a misconception that lust is a male struggle or primarily a male struggle. I think biblically we see lust as a human struggle. Right. And so I like to encourage the women in my life and the, especially our college students um, who find this to be a very common struggle, especially the women, that um, they are not a masculine woman because they struggle with lust mm. or um, temptation toward pornography or have been addicted to that. Um, and I think that it's fairly common. I think every woman, whether they've uh, dabbled in pornography at all, been exposed to it, or, um, you know, maybe have a big struggle in that they know what it means to be tempted sexually. Absolutely. And for me, that started with romantic comedies when I was in junior high. And it was, you know, women struggle differently than men. Usually it's, it's not the physical attraction that is, is really driving that is emotional desires right. driving that. And there are these really emotional, sensual moments in movies that can really capture our hearts. And that is often what will lead to things like masturbation, uh, which is part of my journey. And that was part of where my sexual sin uh, manifested, sure. but also in sexual fantasy, a lot of women struggle with that. Um, just taking those movies they've watched or books they've read. And I was about like to say putting, books, there's loads and they were. Oh yes. Yeah. Books are a very big problem for mm -hmm. women as well. It's a, a um, essentially our same, it's the same thing as pornography. You're, you are reading or watching an idealized version of romance that doesn't really exist the same way that these women um, or these videos of couples and pornography are not real life. Um, they are these idealized versions of things that we long for. And uh, so for women, uh, romantic comedies and uh, romance books can be akin to pornography for the heart. And it's just fueling that lust struggle. And so I find that for most women, you know, we need to be talking about it. And that doesn't mean everyone in the world needs to know what's going on in our lives. Right. But I think a trusted handful, maybe two or three people need to hear about those sins in our lives, even if they are past, because the Bible tells us to confess our sins one to another and pray for one another so we might be healed. And there's a measure of healing and victory that comes when our sin gets out into the light, not just um, before the Lord, but before his body, before other believers. Yeah. And that seems to be what, for many women that I talk to, is that decisive thing that helps them find victory, is just starting to talk about it and having someone pray for them. Yes. Well, so many of these sins are in isolation. So both yes. of you, you confessed to someone, you talked about it, and then the Lord was working. And But these things, uh, masturbation and pornography, you're by yourself. You're in exactly. isolation from community, from other people people. And so one of the things that I just love to hear about is how both of you collectively have served your church, especially in the college ministry, in these on these topics, because 
it's common and we it's common in the church. We need to be able to say that. So how have you uh, helped college students and how can we equip the church on how to care for people and how to be open in talking about these topics uh, more freely? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think one thing that's often lacking in the um, in the conversation with uh, college students, there's a couple things. One of them, when I'm talking to my guys, there is just such a sense of hopelessness, you know, and a sort of a defeatist mentality, you know, and I remember being, being uh, in the throes of addiction and just going, is there any version of my future self that could actually not have this be a part of my story mm-hmm. anymore, you know? And I know so many people feel like that. You don't just have to be in college, of course, but I know so many of, of our college students have that sort of mentality of like, well, I'm resigning to the fact that this is just part of who I am. Yeah. And I'm going to have to confess this sort of week in, week out, and maybe I'll see a little bit of victory. But so we're really big on just wanting to convey like the the power of the Holy Spirit working inside a person who's submitted to Jesus Christ is is immeasurable. I mean, that's how that's the language that that Paul uses when he's writing to the Ephesians. Like it's it's just we can't get our minds around it. And so we, you know, I think helping people get a sense of real lasting consistent uh victory in these areas is accessible and attainable for the christian because yeah. our god is so mighty he's so strong and he can accomplish all of these things we can't but he can and so that's one of the things that we really try to enter into the uh, inject into the conversation with uh, a lot of our students and i think too for um single people it's also important especially for, you know for the women this comes up a lot is that the solution and the answer is not marriage that's and i good. think that's why that's this really struggle good. happens so much in singleness is you think well if i'm married i have an outlet for these sexual desires and so you know, I just need to make it to there or there's no hope until I get there. But the truth is that there's many married people who struggle with this as well. Absolutely. And so it's marriage is not the savior. And I think reminding people of that and, and trying to help see, help them see that's not your savior. Christ is, and he will be your savior now in your singleness. And if you get married, he will be your savior then. And he's an able savior. I was just going to add one, one more thing, you know, and this is, this is an, probably one of the other massive things that, that I really try to help my guys see in our college ministry is, um, I notice a, uh, way that they talk about their um, addiction and their freedom from it, it can tend to be, and most people can tend to keep uh, victory, if you will, only sort of surface level uh, to where the, the language is, oh, it's been three weeks since I did X, you know, or or went to this site or whatever. And success for, for many of our crew can feel like um, how long of a duration I've gone without you know, looking at something or doing something. And I, I think there's a danger in that that I'd want to caution people against um, uh, because that seems to imply that God's main concern is with what you do with your hands hmm. uh, instead of the posture of your heart. And so I'm, I'm really, I really would want people to have a, have a sense of there is a way to experience external victory over, say, pornography addiction and still have a heart posture that's displeasing to God. 
And that is no more victorious than the guy who, or the girl who's in the throes of addiction. What, what God is, though God cares about external obedience, he wants it to be generated from a heart posture that, that loves and treasures Jesus. And so just, just really, uh, putting an emphasis on, um, the, the internal posture that says, I, I want to experience freedom that that is a freedom because I'm satisfied in Christ, not not a freedom because I put so many internet blockers on my computer that I can't even possibly look at anything. That is you know? good. That's not real That's freedom. You've just caged the lion. Mm. You know. Yeah. So we want we want to get rid of the lion altogether. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's that's one thing that we well, really and that's to. repentance, right? That's repentance, right. true repentance, is turning, and 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 it's not it's not covering like a uh, yes. like we're just we're gonna just try to do different habits, but it's a real turning, it's a change, and mm. um and if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just mm. to forgive us and to purify us, and I'm so glad that Jesus promises to finish the good work He began in us, mm. and so. I think that's so good. It's good for us to, all of us, to really think about, okay, are we true, truly repenting or are we just covering with, you know, blocking mm. new habits, but our hearts aren't transformed? If we took that block off, would we just run to it or mm. have, right. are we truly running to Jesus and fixing our eyes on that better thing like you talked about? earlier. There's about a thousand different things and different questions that I have. But I want you to leave us with a little bit of gospel hope. Mm -hmm. And so I want someone to, one of you, either of you, to share the gospel. (laughs) Give give the person who's struggling right now some gospel hope with this. And then also, I just think there needs to be, if you all ever have time, a Mm -hmm. podcast 201 or something. We need to talk about this again. Because one of the things that I would love to have gotten into is marriage. How does this affect marriage? And how have you all um, been encouraged in your marriage, even though you've had struggles in the past? So Mm -hmm. that's for a different time and a different topic. (laughs) or Yes, a different day. But I think this is something that uh, affects so much of our lives. Mm -hmm. And, um, I would love to just talk to y'all again. So, but before that, give us some gospel hope as we go out. Yes. Well, the best news of the gospel is that Jesus died for sinners. And I think as Christians, it's easy for us to think, yeah, that we knew that we were bad when we got in the door, but now it's tempting to put on some, you know, clothes of hiding of, I'm going to walk into church and act like I have it all together. And that actually is very unhelpful. Um, And the one club in the world that is a group of people who have said, I'm so far beyond messed up that I have no hope unless someone saves me are Christians. That's who we are. We are a group of people who have said, I am hopeless if someone else doesn't come to my aid and my rescue. It's what it means to have a savior. So salvation and and, and the hope of the gospel is not just that... um, Jesus came to die and cover my sins just once, and then I'm on my own. Mm. Um, but the great news is, is that yes, in the in my worst state, while I was still His enemy, 
He poured out his blood as a covering for all of the sins of my life and then rose from the grave and stands victorious over my sin, alive and well, that my sin was not stronger than him as to keep him in the grave. But he actually, his alive body now in heaven is a reminder that he is stronger than my sin and that he can save me from it. And not just once and for all um, in that first moment, but in every hour of temptation, he is still an able savior. And so the beauty and the backwardness of following Jesus is that the sooner we get to that place of hopelessness, the quicker we actually find help and strength. Mm, Because it's in that moment that we see that temptation and say, God, I'm hopeless. I will give into it if you don't intervene. And we get on our knees and beg him to save us is actually when his power comes to our aid. And so for those who are in the middle of struggling and feel like there is no hope, I would say, let that hopelessness be turned into something um, that will actually bring about power. Don't stay in hopelessness and think of how you could get your own strength going to beat it. Stay hopeless and ask for your Savior, and He will come to your aid. He's faithful at that in our lives, and He will be faithful in the lives of anyone who puts their hope in Him. Amen. It's really good news. It is such it's such good news. In our weakness and in our hopelessness, we run to Jesus. He invites mm. us to His throne of grace in our time of need. And um, he meets us there and he doesn't, he doesn't um, invite us to his throne of grace so that we might find condemnation, but so that we might find mercy and help. Mm. And so I, I just am so grateful for that and grateful for this reminder of the gospel, the good news that saves us and then sanctifies us and keeps us with our Savior. So thank you guys. I'm so, I'm really encouraged by your testimony, encouraged by your life and your ministry. So Thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you. Glad to be here with you. It's been a pleasure. Well, you've been listening to the ERLC podcast. Hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes. And again, if you're listening and you're struggling in any way, one, go to your church, (laughs) run to your church, speak to someone, don't struggle alone in isolation. And two, there are loads of resources, the word of God, and also on our uh, website, ERLC.com. Thank you.